0: Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. Excuse my extra raspy voice today. The volley and Halloween parties are happening now, so... Therefore, mama has not slept in about, you know, three days. Today, I talked to Mitra Kalita, who is a veteran journalist, a media executive, a prolific commentator, and author of two books. She's also the founder and CEO of URL Media Holdings, which is a network of black and brown community news outlets that share content and revenue. And guys, Mitra has done it all. She has worked at the LA Times, at CNN. She was a founding editor of Mint, a business paper in New Delhi, and has previously worked for the Washington Post, Newsday, and the Associated Press. She also talks passionately about Jackson Heights, which has been her home on and off for the last 21 years, and gives us great advice throughout this episode. So please enjoy my interview with Mitra Kalitha. so let's just get into it you are the founder and ceo of url media holdings which is a network of black and brown company news outlets that share content and revenue so talk to me about the beginnings of this this was obviously in the middle of covid what was the impetus for starting this i know you have a partner i believe Mm -hmm. i do have a co-founder yeah so tell me about launching this starting this how did this all start
1: um well thank you thank you thank you for having me on um it actually started with a smaller company than that. I, I run two companies right now. Um, the other one is uh, called EpiCenter NYC, and I launched, um, I really launched a newsletter and served a community need before I launched a company. So in the spring of 2020, if you kind of put yourself back in that really uncertain time, um, I live in Jackson Heights, uh, which is a neighborhood in Queens. It's um, a lot of Indians think it's like little India, but the truth is it's really much more now like little Bangladesh, little Tibet and little Nepal, uh, but also, um, you know, little Colombia, little Ecuador. I mean, it's a really, really diverse pocket of New York City. Right. Um, the same conditions that um, make this where the world meets um, led to, A surge in COVID um, and really kind of created the perfect breeding ground for our neighborhood to be ground zero of the pandemic. And as the New York Times um, later dubbed us the epicenter of the epicenter. And so at the time I'm working at CNN. I'm a dutiful Indian daughter. I move in with my parents in New Jersey. Uh, We hunker down and yet we're coming kind of back and forth to Jackson Heights because You know, we didn't expect to move in with my parents and that sort of uncertainty. You know, the kids forgot this book and that book and we needed more clothes and the seasons were changing and our friends were here. And even though we couldn't really see them because nobody was seeing each other, you know, we wanted to at least wave to them on the street. I mean, that's the time we were in. Right. Right. And that's like my personal life, my professional life. I'm at CNN running, you know, the largest of the largest news websites in the world. CNN uh, sees what's happening in New York City and obviously across the world, but sends a truck to outside Elmhurst Hospital, which is really close to my house, kind of in this epicenter of the epicenter. And I had this weird um, juxtaposition of my... Uh, my job and my life. Mm -hmm. So what do I mean by that? Like everyone's trying to cover what's happening in the epicenter of the epicenter. In the meantime, I'm getting all these emails from my neighbors saying, how do we get a COVID test? It's really bad here. The The sirens are going off all the time. We have a friend, he needs to get a bed with a ventilator. Like it just, it we also want to know, is is Patel Brothers open right now? Like, <laughs> we have no doll left, which is like really so kind he. of a crisis, right? So you see that it's like a mix of the profound, like, life and death situations, but also the stuff that makes us us also became, like, in question, right? Whether that's finding rice or doll at Patel Brothers to what's the line like at Patel Brothers to kneading yeast because suddenly you're baking, and so there's a CNN that's covering everything from up here, right? right? My hand is up here, to the reality of the questions we have on the ground being really, you need your neighbors more than ever because who else can tell you what this 20 block radius around you looks right. like? And so we're going back and forth between New Jersey and Jackson Heights, developing similar systems, right? Could we pay this guy by credit card, and he just puts the groceries in our trunk because that's safer for our parents, right? Could we help this neighbor out by having our kid do Zoom sessions with like all that stuff, day to day, like what you need it's to the day to day, right? Yeah. But as you know, national media can feel so disconnected from the day to day, and so I felt like, gosh, I'm like working at the biggest of the big. And yet the questions I'm getting that feel really acute right now are the smallest of the small. And so my husband, who's an artist, and I looked at each other and we said, should we just answer these questions in a way that's a little bit more logical, meaning not Kind of a cluster, you know what? On email or text message or WhatsApp. Don't worry about it. Go ahead, girl. (laughs) Uh, So, but could we like do a newsletter so that instead of like forwarding this email to forty people that we think might have the answer, could there be more of a crowd that's talking to each other? And so, Epicenter was born out of very organically the needs of a place that had really been suffering from COVID nineteen, but also. It felt like, and I say this having worked in the institution that was trying to do right, but the CNNs of the world were not our answer. Right. You needed something more localized,
0: more practical to actually, yes, give news, but also spread where you can find help and where That's what right. you can do in this community. Totally. Right.
1: And so um, an interesting thing happened between my husband and I looking at each other and the actual launch of the newsletter, which was um, the death of George Floyd. And I share that because what ended up happening in an immigrant neighborhood like ours is that you couldn't not stop and ask the question of, are we centering Blackness? Are we acknowledging the role of media writ large in creating the same systems that feel so distant from communities? And so what started out as a practical, this was supposed to be a practical newsletter, took on much more existential meaning after the death of George Floyd and also um, forced this very diverse neighborhood to examine um, its own role. And definitely for this journalist, me, to say, you know, I actually don't think the answer here is for us to be distant from our neighbors. We can't be above it all. We love our neighborhood. That's why we're doing this. We should own that we love... What does it mean to love your neighborhood? It means you love your neighbors. Right. It means you love your humans. It you means it means, and so that is very revolutionary. Right. Oddly, it enough. means you don't just stick in your clique, right?
0: It's it means, I think now more than ever, the past five seven years, we need to stick together.
1: Yeah, as neighbors. Yeah, yeah. and so owning that when we come out finally with this newsletter was a really important part of our identity. And so the, the the things that collide to eventually create URL media, which is your question, is really the pandemic, the racial justice protests, and of course, the uh, looming election in November of 2020. And so we launch Epicenter. It is beloved. And yet, what do I know from CNN that In order for a media business to operate, whether we're talking about its revenue or even discoverability, what does the line look like at Patel Brothers? I'm more likely to Google that than to actually call my neighbor. That's the truth. right? And so what happens when you launch a dinky effort on the Internet and you're beloved by the thousand or two thousand people who've come to learn about you, but you're not the millions of people that actually are what it takes to be successful on Google search results, right? There's just the reality of scalability and algorithms, right? right, That quite frankly will never favor an outlet like Epicenter, right? And so I said, well, I could, you know, I am going to try to grow Epicenter, of course, right? And at the time I'm still working at CNN, but I see this through the lens of a media strategist who knows what does it mean to be big? It means you get to create impact, right? It means that when you are trying to do the right thing and millions of people know about it, you have more of a likelihood of being discovered and affecting change than not having that discoverability. And yet, what is the reality of most, you know, I'm speaking to someone who's nodding because you know what I mean. It's I mean, in like, to I, small I, I on so, the internet. I so know what you mean. It's
0: like chipping yeah. Yeah.
1: away at it slowly. Yeah. And um, But the people who love us really love us. They know us. And what happens when you scale? You sacrifice that relationship. You don't right. want to sacrifice the intimacy and authenticity that you and I have with our audiences. And so URL Media was really born out of what's the problem we're trying to solve? We're trying to solve that it sucks to be small on the internet, but it's also great to be small. It's great because we're beloved and we're trusted. It's great to have your
0: army, your army of
1: people that love you. Because at
0: the end of the day, just an overall kind of saying is, it's better to go deep than to go wide.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so when you're deep with people, what happens? They might call you again and again and again. And so what we found at Epicenter was, You know, if we helped you secure some need or if you were a food pantry and you said, we really need size three diapers and we only got you six boxes, which is a real story. You know, we put it in our newsletter and people ordered them and they were like, we got six boxes. And in my head, six is nothing because I come from a scale of millions and billions. But to that pantry, that's revolutionary. For six families, that's revolutionary. How do you start to amplify that? But it's still not sacrificing the service that you represent. Right. Right. And so URL Media was born out of this belief that why don't we get a few of us doing this type of work together. So right. black and brown publishers, initially we were eight. As of this week, I believe we've just hit 14. Okay. I think we'll be guess, at 20 by at the end site, of the year. I said yeah. 12. And we might be outdated okay. on the site. Yeah. Okay. They were, yeah, we've just added two more. And so what's happened is that we um have high quality, and I say publishers in the multi-platform sense. We have audio, live streams, traditional newspapers, websites that send push alerts. We ha- I mean, we have newsletter. Um, we have WhatsApp. We have all across platforms because that's the reality of how our communities are consuming right. media. It's also, the. Re- I, I think the platforms are important in terms of breeding trust and a two-way exchange with your user Versus the way journalism traditionally works, which is, we'll tell you the news. Right. Good luck. Good luck to all of you. Sure. Right. Yes. And I think what all of our outlets have in common is um, obviously representation. They're black and brown outlets. A desire to serve the communities. But also, they're rooted in really listening, right? They're listening to the needs of a community and, uh, and kind of serving that back with the journalism they commit, but then it continues. None of our outlets will do one story on street vendors in New York City. At Epicenter, we've done like six of them, right? Hey, right. Um, We don't do one story on COVID tests because that's changing all the time. We've probably done about, I don't know, 40, 50 yeah. pieces of content. And so I think the other thing is that unlike national media where... It feels like things surface when it's almost like the point of no return like I always say evictions right like national media covers evictions epicenter and other members of the URL media family we cover how to stay in your house right we really cover the prevention and the um, sustainability of life right and so and careers and and health and and so URL was born out of a belief that together we're much stronger. Um, in hindsight, we look a little bit like digital geniuses, and I'll take credit for it because <laughs> what was what was happening in the summer of 2020, leading up to our eventual launch in the um, days after Joe Biden's inauguration in 2021, we were rethinking our relationship with platforms. And so all these news outlets that had grown on the backs of Facebook Uh were suddenly like, it would be really nice to have direct audience to our website, right? Right. And so in some ways, the same conditions that made me say, oh gosh, like Epicenter is not going to be discoverable on Facebook or Google benefited us because we had direct audience from people who were, you know, if you're Haitian, of course you're reading the Haitian Times, right? And so... Um, We actually were able to, my co-founder, Sarah lomax Reese always says, you know, one plus one equals 11. We were able to take the power of those micro audiences. And by the time we came out of the gate with eight, it was like one plus one plus one plus one. Guess what? It equals seven million users. That's amazing. And that just felt like different from every other media launch where you are at the mercy of the algorithm right. to discover you. Right, which is
0: one of the biggest hurdles as a independent journalist or podcaster uh, faces. So I, I definitely hear you. now you mentioned 14, do uh, you call them partners? Yeah. Yeah, so I, you kind of touched on it and on, on kind of how you choose uh, your partnerships based on, you know, them wanting to give back, obviously black and brown. And and you also mentioned uh, briefly, you know, if you're Haitian, you, you read the Haitian news. But, you know, I've been doing this South Asian podcast almost in 100 episodes. And and I, I always... Thank That's you. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, Yeah, lots going on. And I always wonder, and I get the question, are South Asians, are Indians, are brown people interested in the content even? So I want to ask someone like you who has done this way longer than I have. Yeah, yeah. In very simple terms, are people interested in brown and black stories? yeah.
1: I mean, I think I think the answer is yes. Okay. Like I've staked my career on it even before URL Media. I mean, I would, you know, when I was at CNN, I was a senior vice president. And, you know, never have I ever season two would come out and I'd be like, uh, I think I'm going to write a story about this. And, you know, like, again, why did I do that? Well, one, it's because I was interested in it, but also I felt really this urgent need to make sure that that was represented right. at CNN.com. Right. And I think there are a lot of us that are making that type of noise um, within mainstream institutions. I think that's one, one bucket. The second is what you're getting at, which is from an audience perspective, are we looking at ourselves? And I would say, yes, but I don't think that we are uh, both demanding more and demanding better And I don't know if we're dissecting and um, kind of seeing the intersections across communities. And so what do I mean by that? A part of the reason that we're black and brown is because the issues overlap. Right. And yet, in the coverage of mainstream, they don't overlap. And I think that's very intentional, right? One beautiful thing that's happened out of our partnerships are an outlet like WURD in Philadelphia has a large Black Muslim listenership. An outlet like TBN24, which serves Bangladeshis across the world, says, you know, it's really interesting because Bangladeshis who migrate tend to be largely secular, but what happens when they come to the new country? They get more religious. And is there some programming from an expatriate perspective that we need to be doing that serves this audience, right? right. Because obviously being religious in a Western context, or sorry, a Western um, environment when you are Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, Sikh, anything, anything. other mm-hmm. than, anything other really oh. than Christian, mm-hmm. right? Takes on a whole new meaning. And so when I say the dissection of that experience I think for so long, we've just been so grateful mm-hmm. to be represented at all by at all, right? Like, oh, look, Coldplay is playing at the Super Bowl and they have Hindi script on their drum. Um, um, so, drum set. Yes. yes. The drum set, yeah, right? right? The drum kit. And that's amazing. And like, or like, so and so is wearing a bindi or wearing henna tattoos. And so, what I think we're now demanding. Um, is more, better, more accurate. But I also think one, and you can't discount entertainment in all of this. So I do think that um, that feels like the low hanging fruit where you've definitely seen our people making strides. When I say intersections, you know, I just finished watching Mo. I know you're in Texas, so I don't know if you've seen Mo yet, I but haven't it's not it yet. Okay, it's on Netflix. It's about a Palestinian guy in Houston. And his um, kind of quest for asylum, but also his quest to find himself and okay. love. And and it's just, it's really good. I mean, you can't watch that as a Daisy and not see intersections. You can't right. watch that as a Latino and not see intersections. You can't watch that as a Black Muslim and not find a lot to think about. And so URL's goal, and I would say goal because I don't think we're there yet, is to really find and create content that's in those intersections where it is messy. It's precisely the places where mainstream media is like... Missing. "Mm, I don't know what to do Do with with it. Right, right. And that's all the time. Yeah. Because guess what? Life and identity are very messy. I love that word messy. It's literally part of my podcast. Oh, good. Right. We didn't even plan that. Yes, yes.
0: I, I love the messiness because... Most people don't. They don't want to approach it. But that's kind of where all the good stuff is, you know? Yeah. So podcasty question, ultimate vision. I'm sure you guys have your your five-year, ten-year plan. But in your mind, yeah. I know you kind of started this organically and it happened just kind of at the right time, right place thing kind of thing. But yeah, now, you know, almost we, a yeah, year and a half, two, two years, years later, um, has it changed? Has yeah. it evolved?
1: Um, it's evolved and gotten more ambitious. One, we would like to be global. So out of the gate, we started getting emails from, I run a tribal website in Northeast India. We are a underrepresented minority in Russia. We are Afro-Brazilian. Like, we started getting so much that redeemed right. exactly what you and I are talking about in terms of, I don't quite fit into, could you please... Fit me. Help us, right? (laughs) Or Let me fit in. (laughs) Let me fit in. And so that was one insight that people raised their hands and said, I'd like to be a part of this globally. We've not yet gotten there, but I I articulate that as a goal and an ambition. The second is really kind of how we've set ourselves up, which is we would like to make it impossible to not do business with us, right? Meaning you will encounter us every step of the way. You're Netflix and you're launching a show like Mo. How could you not advertise with our people? Right. 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 You are, um, you know, a city government that needs to reach um, Haitian health aides. Well, how could you not turn to us? Right. Right. And so we are growing in a way that feels very thoughtful. Um, initially I came in and I was like, let's let in everybody. And now I've been thinking and I've been articulating better to say, listen, you have to have a revenue model before you come to us. I'm not going to solve, if you're a media outlet, I'm not going to solve your lack of revenue model or audience. I can augment and amplify. Absolutely. Right. But let's make sure that your bones are strong, strong that right. your foundation is there. you how not crawl and walk and yeah. then come with yeah. us to run and then come to do the thing right and so that's been great now what's the what's the covenant that i owe people when i give them that feedback it means how am i supporting you on the way right and so we just have um we just landed an ad campaign um about six five or six of our partners are going to benefit but we tapped two on for a smaller dollar amount because their reach is much smaller and they're 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 still looking for growth their model right and right. growth however we really see something there we really do see an engaged audience and feel like this is the type of people we want and so can we start to grow and use our ad dollars to help on the way up right right and so for us it's not an either or but it really is how do you operate in a way that is uplifting on your way up as opposed to getting to a certain place and then telling everybody what you learned? Because we're in such crisis right now when it comes to these issues, whether it's trust on the internet, the role of platforms in publishing, right? small publishers serving communities, but saying, I don't have a revenue model and I don't know if I'm going to be in business tomorrow and I haven't taken a paycheck since 2015. I mean, I hear that all the time. Right. And- we do feel like we have a responsibility on all of those fronts. Okay. At the same time, we got to make sure that we are sustainable. Building right, the right and, business. And, and, and yeah. building the right business. Right. That's, it's right. for
0: profit, obviously. So it feels like it's equivalent to a funding a startup. That startup may not be, you know, the pitch may not be perfect. And they might be missing the numbers and this and that. But it's more about the faith in the person. And the potential, right? Which is, I feel like that's what you're saying to some of these people. Yeah. They may not yeah. have their model or have their audience, but you just know that the potential's there,
1: which is nice. I, I I, feel like after all I've done in my career that I still have to prove myself at every turn is a part of the problem, but it also makes me take bets on people where I'm like, that person's a rock star. Right. Like, and what the, con- the content that they're producing is incredible. Right. I would like to be in their universe. I would like to be in their orbit. Working with so- good people, right? Like yeah. working with the right, yeah. that's at yeah. the end of
0: the day, that's what's going to make your day to day, your job fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We have and we apply that to our vendors. So, you know, we favor BIPOC vendors. And that's something that never lets me down. Now, obviously, we're on Mailchimp. We're on a lot of programs that are not BIPOC vendors, right? There's the reality of being successful on the internet. It looks a certain way. It's not black and brown people, right? Um, right. They're definitely the engineers, though. But that's yes. not necessarily who's like front and center of the. We company. are. We are
0: doing a lot of things behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But but
1: when possible, um, and you know you know our lawyers. Um, are mostly people of color. Yeah. And what, hap- what happens, like, who's your most rela- important relationship when you launch a company? Nobody ever tells you. It's your lawyer. Like, it's, it's just um, a lot of that now. It's an important relationship. For them to believe in what we're doing is everything. It really, it really is, is. Because yeah. it makes the difference between, um, can you review this contract? It's midnight and it's due at 9 a.m. Right. To it's 5 a.m., I uh, have a really sticky situation I'm in. Are you going to take my call? Right, right, right. So those types of relationships really matter. But the belief in what we're building feels like we must have people who are believers. You're on the same team. You're on Mm -hmm. the same team. And that's (laughs) what matters.
0: And so, girl, I was reading your website, LinkedIn. I was like, you have done so much. So if we had three hours, we can go through it. But we won't. Out of all these roles... What do you most relate to? You've been a media entrepreneur, a player coach, which I wasn't sure what that player coach term meant. So you can tell me that. Mm -hmm. Author, writer, journalist, media executive. What title
1: jumps out at you and describes who you are? Oh, gosh, the title thing is so hard because I have so many titles. And, you know, for years, I have been running away from people who say, I don't even know what you do. Or like, I don't know where you are now, or I don't know how to introduce you. And finally, over the last few months, I've just developed comfort with, yeah, I do a lot of things, right? But sometimes those questions come with a little bit of both disdain, maybe some envy. And um, sometimes people are marveling at it, but sometimes it's not in the in the it's not that tone I'm getting, and so for years I felt a certain way, and right. now I'm just comfortable and totally. kind of undoing undoing the bad feelings I used to get out of it. Um, what's a player coach? So what I kind of just described to you, which is, you know, I was an executive at CNN, and then I just wrote the story because I felt like we should be doing this story. I think the ability to like roll your sleeves up and do the thing that you are asking your teams to do will forever serve you. Okay. Now, I've also made a discovery as an entrepreneur that when you have a team that's kick-ass, getting out of their way helps so much more stuff get done. Right, right, right. 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 But that rolling up your sleeves and saying, not only I will do this, but I can do this, it it keeps you um, able to continuously disrupt yourself in a way that I think our traditional career trajectories have mastery and then you're removed from it. Right. Versus the reality of the world we're in now, which is you must constantly tweak and pivot to be effective. Right. And so for me, the player coach is actually a way to ensure that my skills are always sharp. That's
0: always learning, right? Always a student, uh, no no matter how far you get in your career, which I love because that means you're just always staying curious. And I got to ask, since you uh, have been in journalism for so long for those south asian kids that are are trying to break in whose parents aren't excited about it blah 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 you know gro- growing up a typical indian household what would you tell them not to do one thing
1: the parents the kids what would i tell them not- oh the kids yeah. the kids oh gosh i mean i feel like i'll get in trouble for this but i see so much generational trauma out there and i want to acknowledge it And I think one of the answers of a new generation behind me is to not engage, is to just say, I stopped speaking to a long list of people and I get it. And then there's another part of me that's like, just look at what our families came from, escaped from, endured for us. Built for us. So this is where I feel like I will get in trouble because this is not the modern answer. And so I worry about a generation shutting down versus engaging to understand. And so how does that play out? For a while, it felt like every story about American born daisies treated the parents as these villains. Right. They won't let the kids go out. They won't let the kids date. You must dress a certain way. You mu- I mean again yeah. and I
0: get again I get it. It was a kind of an e- a low-hanging fruit,
1: right? Low-hanging fruit. easy, easy yeah.
0: story to say. Kind of universal throughout our generation and so right. it, it was easy to poke fun of. It was easy. The more, nu-
1: the more nuanced story right. would be the South Asian mother who had an abortion, which is why she doesn't want her daughter to or, date or divorce. All of it, it. right? And so the nuance, I guess what I'm asking for on television, which I'm finally starting to see, which that's the good news, right? Um, And I just wrote a piece about this, but, you know, by season three of Never Have I Ever, we've got nuanced female protagonists compared to kind of gossipy auntie types, right? There's a trajectory and a progression happening there. I guess I would ask the same of... Us. I I include myself in that because it's only by demanding. And and for many of us, this realization will come very late. And my hope is that your parents are still around by the time you want to ask those questions. Right. And I feel like our history in this country has only just started to be told. right? Only just Just started. started. Yeah. It feels like this new,
0: weird beginning uh, in a way. And that actually, I really want to hear this from you, again, also because you've obviously been in the scene, where you're from, and obviously you being a journalist. The scarcity myth. So the one thing I have learned in these 95 episodes is a lot of my guests who are all brown and all South Asian talk about the scarcity myth. Not enough room at the table for all of us. Not supporting each other in the communities, whether that's through the arts, that's through whatever you know industry you're in. With there being a rise of representation now in kind of all industries, it feels like, you know, at least, do you believe that scarcity myth is still there uh, in our community? Or do you see our community helping each other out more?
1: I think you have to keep looking for the people who will help you and you'll be surprised. And so one of the things, if someone were to say to me, what surprised you most about launching two companies in two years? I would say the people who show up. And I, I think it's similar when you ask people who've been through grief or mourning, like if someone has just passed and you're like, what surprises you? And they'll say the people who show up. So there's kind of a parallel with just life and in, in careers and work here. Right. Um, The people who show up and give so fully of themselves, whether it's pricing. Here's my rate card. Feel free to steal it. You know, here's a contact at this advertising agency they give us advertising but they should be giving it to YouTube that comes from a place of not just generosity but confidence right security and right like, I mean but what what happens with what you're describing of scarcity that comes from a place of insecurity there's not enough room mm-hmm. and I would say that is what much of this country's flaws, are rooted in, right? That individualistic mindset versus what I operate with in both my companies is a mindset and a true philosophy of abundance, right? And so if someone says, we only have, the question must be, why do you only have? And how can we help you create more? Uh One question that we really front in our reporting is, what do you need? Right so traditional journalism is who what when where why right. maybe the how but we add what do you need because if there's a way that we can amplify what you need um and it, it, it you know what what has surprised us in 2 years of doing that kind of work the needs are often so simple they're so simple right what is different is that they just haven't been amplified or put out there in a crowd of people that can answer them right so if if my role can be just that, mm-hmm. meaning I don't have the answer, but I can connect those who do, to me, that also feels that kind of exemplifying how we might operate in the best of our communities, right? right. What have Indians historically done really well? We're really good middlemen, yeah. right? We're really good at love being it. like, you're going to love it. Yeah. Yes. You're going to make your yes. jeans in China? Here, <laughs> let me help you do that, right? It's, totally. So totally, and so I think that's very natural for us. I would encourage us to lean into that, right? Guiding us versus the corporate America room for only one singular success story right. that we know as a community will not get us anywhere. Right? And I hope.
0: I do hope it's maybe it is changing. Um, it it was, you know, when you do these many interviews, as I'm sure you know, you just uh, recognize a pattern of. A feeling of of the comments, and that has been a very common uh, topic yeah. uh, throughout uh, my interviews with many South Asians and not getting the support they need from the community. And I'm like, I hope that's changing. You know, I've definitely have seen both sides yeah. for sure.
1: It feels it feels like you can't win. So yeah. I would say that in a mainstream organization, your own community is like, oh, you sold out, and then the corporate or white community around you, often white supervisors, bosses. Are like oh well you're agitating on behalf of so many and so you just cannot win. Win yeah. Um, I think is probably what you're getting at. I think the naysayers are very hurtful. I mean I, I guess one of the unstated parts of what is what is it uh, what does it take to operate from abundance? It takes financial success and security. Yeah. And if I hadn't been turned away so many times that by my own community, yes, but also had to figure it out right? to find a path to not just sustainability, but profitability. It would not put me in the position to operate from abundance. But now that I'm there, I'm definitely choosing that way to move forward versus that feeling of why am I not good enough? Because that feeling, I can tell you from my mid 30s which thankfully are more Over. than a decade behind <laughs> my rearview mirror are a really tough place to come out of and such a uh, is tiring right waste
0: of energy to to feel that way not waste of energy just it just feels exhausting and like you i feel like i'm going to just in a healthier place as i get older okay couple 2 minutes to do a quick round ultimate collaboration who would you love to work with that you haven't
1: yet I'm gonna say Byron Allen okay. um, successful black entrepreneur owns the Weather Channel, um, owns the Grio. I'm a real big admirer of him calling out corporate America and its lack of support for black and brown media. So uh, a near-term goal is to work with Byron Allen. And then I would say Oprah Winfrey in some capacity. I wonder if she comes up a lot in your interviews, but I, you know, when we talk about like how do you make it impossible not to do business with someone or run into someone, there isn't a single industry I can think of that she hasn't revolutionized. So, right, that's I, th- put that's, it out there. That's a dream in the universe, right? You never know.
0: Yeah. If you had a billboard that you could put up permanently on any highway in America,
1: what would it say? Um, I would say, what my father always said to me: "It's not about you. It's not Period. about you." I like that. Yeah. Uh, four people you can... I can also tell you but what my mother says. Yeah. Nobody is perfect, not even you. I love that. <laughs> That's such like an
0: Indian-oddy thing to say. It's amazing. Like, all our mothers yeah. are the same, I've decided. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. Four people you would like to have dinner with, the dead or alive. Okay, I'm going to
1: say Byron Allen mm-hmm. and Oprah Winfrey. Okay. That makes it easy, because right. then I could kill two birds. Frederick Douglass. And... I'm real I'm trying to think of a South Asian who I'd like to have dinner with that's not cliché and that's hard that's because That's okay. It can be cliché. I want to have dinner with
0: Mindy Kaling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have had dinner with Mindy Kaling, oh, but in a different
0: life. Okay. See, that's okay. a whole
1: different thing. Gosh, there's so many people that say things and you're like right on and now I'm drawing a blank on them. Um It's okay. It can be three people. Uh, You know, I'm going to say Maria Ressa, who also is a friend, but I haven't had dinner with her in a very long time. She won the Nobel Prize. And I think her approach to journalism and business, people really talk about the free speech and journalism, but also her as a businesswoman is quite admirable. So you got there.
0: You got Got there pretty good. Two for one. So that worked out. And then last question. What would you like to be known for at the end of your career? Oh, wow.
1: When is the end of my career? Um, <laughs> Whenever that is. I think just having an impact. I really just want someone to say she tried to do things differently and it changed us to do things differently. That's it. I like it. That could also be your billboard. Yeah, it See? could be a billboard. See, and a t shirt. <laughs>
0: I mean, that woman is a boss. You guys, please check out her company. You can go to url-media.com. Sign up for their newsletter. They have some great information. They even have job postings that are super interesting. So check it out. As always, you can follow me at Tuckered Out TuckeredOutPodcast, TuckeredOutWithAmy.com. I'm going to go attempt to uh, rest my voice because I think I have another Halloween party in like a day to attend to. So... Thank you guys for listening. I will see you next week. This is Tuckered out.